Hi everyone, welcome back to Hitchcock University where you learn filmmaking from the masters. Um, you're going to have to forgive me, I am not uh, at 100%. I'm doing Whole30, um, which I'm in this phase right now where um, I'm not quite myself. Um, and I've been a little bit busier than I would like to be and I haven't been able to quite put as much thought and effort into this show as I was hoping um, as I was listening to our last episode, I was uh, a little disappointed in myself. So I'm going to try to do better this time, but bear with me for the next, who knows, maybe a couple episodes. We'll see. But enough about me. Let's get to you guys. Uh, I got another question uh, from a listener. Uh, they said that I read somewhere that Hitchcock referred to actors as cattle. What does that mean, and why didn't he like actors? Well, a couple questions there. I'm going to try to take this one by one. Yes, uh, Hitchcock was notorious for return, for a quote uh, in which he said actors... The, the, the strange thing is I've never actually been able to find the quote, um, and he claims that he was misquoted. He didn't say that actors are cattle. He said that he said they are to be treated like cattle. And I'm not sure which is worse. The fact of the matter is, uh, Hitchcock saw actors as he saw everyone else who worked on a set. They were all cogs in a wheel, and they were there to do their jobs. Uh, he even viewed, viewed himself that way, uh, to a certain respect. Um, Hitchcock, at a, at a fairly, f fairly early on, realized that this was an industry almost as, as much, if not more than, it was an art. Um, and the job was to make money, and the job was to do the, do the job in the most effective manner possible, but also the most budget-conscious manner possible so that the movie could make money. And so actors, like everyone else, were there to be told what to do, how to do it, and then to go do it as they were told. And he ran into a number of actors uh, who were very artsy. Um, he tells a number of stories about working with Charlie Lofton. Um, he did not get along uh, at all with Paul Newman, who was a method actor, and he felt that method acting really had no place in cinema. So... Yeah, I mean, he had he had some tough run-ins with some actors, but there were a number of other actors that he got along with quite well. They understood him, he understood them, and they could they were good at what they did. So yeah, that's that's really what that boils down to. It's not that Hitch didn't like actors; it's that he understood that everyone had a role, and they just needed to do their jobs. Um, he's very very business minded in a sense. Um, now, uh, that's an excellent question because those cattle, those actors, um, are incredibly crucial to the film we're going to talk about today. That's one of the reasons that I, I picked that question uh, out of the hat today. Because the movie we're talking about is based on a stage play. And it was, well, we'll get into that. Uh, the movie we're talking about today is called Rope. Um, story of two young men who kill one of their mutual acquaintances and then have a party with people who knew their victim. And on top of that, they keep the body hidden in the room where the party's going on. Strange, macabre, kind of dark, 
really fun. <laughs> so, like I said, this movie's based on a stage play. And Hitch noticed very quickly that because it's all in one room, that it has continuous action, there's no set changes, um, the only the only stops would have been intermission. And Hitch felt that he needed to film it in a way that reflected the nature of that story. Now, how do you do that, right? Especially when you're a filmmaker who feels that montage, cutting, editing, the ability to take two pieces of film and juxtapose them together to create a thought in the audience's mind is really cinema. We've talked some about that. We're going to talk more about that um, in at least one of the coming up episodes. Well, what you do is you, you set it up to do it all in one shot, right? If, if the goal is continuous motion, continuous flow of the story, then you don't have any cuts. That's exactly what Hitch set out to do. I want to take a moment, though, before we get into this to give a bit of a disclaimer. I'm not a huge fan of this kind of filmmaking. Um, film school students especially uh, go see the next Alfonso Cuaron or Alejandro Iñárritu films. Uh, and think that the way they move the camera with all these long, long takes, you know, 10 minute takes, 20 minute takes, uh, the Birdman was uh, shot to look like all in one continuous take. Um, they just think that's the coolest thing in the world. Um, and I've fallen prey to that myself. Uh, the difference is that I fell in love with this movie before I went to film school. So I fell in love with that technique and then tried it in film school. And while it worked, it, I don't know. I, I personally have gotten over it. <laughs> I don't think it's as cool anymore. Um, I think it has a place. And I think there's excellent opportunities for good one-take scenes if done right. I think Spielberg has a much better mastery of, of the one-take coverage than many other filmmakers um, and I'm hoping in in the coming years we can talk about that but even Alfred Hitchcock said that said that shooting rope this way was a gimmick it was a stunt it wasn't it wasn't cinema in a uh, and, and and the reason is because of its lack of cuts the lack of the ability to juxtapose pieces of film together. That's what makes cinema so unique. Stage play has the opportunity for continuous action, continuous storytelling like this. Book doesn't because it gets picked up and put down. But cinema, the nature of cinema is that ability to cut shots together, to bring together two elements that might not have anything to do with each other, but because you, because you cut them together, forces the audience to think about a relationship, come up with a relationship between them. So, let me give you an exact quote about what Hitch said about this film. In the in the book, Hitchcock on Hitchcock, in the interview, Hitchcock talks about lights, camera, action. He says, and I quote, it, rope, wasn't very cinematic. It was really an expression of theater. It was like giving the audience opera glasses and letting them follow the characters around. 
that's an apt description of the film and how it kind of rode this line between a filmed play and a movie and uh, those sorts of things. Now, I don't want you to think that I hate one-take movies. I really like this movie. I fell in love with this movie as a high schooler. For a long, long time, it was my favorite Hitchcock film. Uh, it is still, for, for my money, uh, one of the most underrated Hitchcock films, and I, I think everyone should see it. I think we all can learn something about camera movement by watching this movie. Um, in fact, speaking of camera movement, I'd like to talk a little bit about how Hitchcock felt about camera movement, because if he, like I, kind of don't see this as cinema, then how do you move the camera? Let's get into that because I think this this sort of sets up sets up everything you need to know about how Hitch intentionally moved the camera and intentionally and, and also sets up sort of an expectation for for what what and how rope was actually filmed because I think Hitch actually sells himself a little short on um, on the filming of rope and I'll tell you why a little bit later but let's talk about camera movement he says and I quote. I'm all for moving the camera when it's properly used. Now, end quote. I'm going to condense a, an example that he gives. The idea is that focus should be on the character or them moving and not on the movement of the camera. We talked a little bit about that in Rebecca. We're going to elaborate on that today. He gives this example of a couple arguing sitting on a couch. Let's say you're shooting the wife in close-up as the as the argument gets builds and builds and builds to the point where she she can't stand being next to her husband anymore and has to get up and walk to the other side of the room. Now, Hitch says, if you've got them in close-up, and when they get up angrily and walk away, most filmmakers are gonna cut to the wide shot. He says, I would never do that. Instead, hold that close up and move with them to wherever it is that they're going to land. Now, if you're the director, you have the opportunity to to choreograph this beautifully. That's directing, right? Remember these things. You're, you know, part of your job there is to choreograph the movement of the camera with the actors. You know, and you have a director of photography who can maybe help you figure some of this stuff out. Um but don't cut away to that wide shot. You need to hold the emotion there. We talked about in Notorious how he had this love scene um, where he, he follows this couple around who their embrace doesn't break, you know. It's, it's the idea of holding the emotion in that moment. That's where camera movement comes into play. Um, and moving with the characters through their scene you don't need to move your characters all the time, but when they move, sometimes the camera might need to move with them, especially if you're if you're an emotional dialogue scene. And that's something that that I want to get back to, where Hitch talked about. Oh, I don't remember what episode it was, probably blackmail. We were talking about the idea of Hitch not wanting to just shoot photographs of people talking. Well, if you hold the emotion like that through your camera movement, that's one way to get it beyond just photographs of people talking. You can keep the audience there and on that very intimate close-up as they move throughout the set. So you're not just photographing people talking, you're photographing the emotions. That's visual storytelling. Now, as much as I enjoy Rope, 
I think it is also a cautionary tale. Because uh, I want to talk about what actually goes into filming an entire movie in one take. And why this isn't done all the time. Especially back in the day when we didn't shoot vid- digital, we were shooting on film. So let's talk about this. Again, in Hitchcock on Hitchcock, but in an essay that Hitch wrote called My Most Exciting Picture, Hitchcock outlines in detail how they went about making this movie. And I'm going to give you some bullet points. First of all, months of preparation. For those of you thinking that shooting everything in one shot actually saves you time, it doesn't. It actually requires more rehearsal. Because the actors have to hit their marks, the camera has to hit their marks, the focus puller has to hit their marks. Everybody's in the, the, the boom operator can't be in the shot. The gaffer and the director of photography have to figure out where to put the lights so they're not in the frame. So months of preparation. Long days of rehearsal for two weeks before they even started shooting. And when they started shooting, I believe it took them nine days. No, it took them longer than that. I don't have it written down here. Dang it. That's okay. Jamie Stewart, who becomes one of the major stars in this film, could not sleep. Think about that. You have an actor who can't sleep because he's so nervous. Especially film actors aren't used to this kind of pressure. If they mess up, it's just take two. No big deal. But especially when you're shooting film, you know, but even if you're not shooting film, think about this. You've got a 10-minute take that you're going to do before there's a a whip pan or whatever it is that's going to get you out of that shot so you guys can reset for the next one. Okay. 10 minutes. That's also that that also happens to coincide with the real length of excuse me. That also happens to coincide with the length of the reels of film that they were using at the time, I believe. I think it was 10 minutes. If you mess up on minute 9, Everybody has to go back to the beginning. And that's what kept Jimmy Stewart up all night. The immense pressure that he felt of, I cannot mess up. If I mess up, I mess it up for everybody else. The key grip, who was also working as the dolly grip on this one, was literally doing the dolly moves in his sleep. Um, they had massive walls that had to be moved and set pieces that had to be moved out of the way for the camera as it came through, only then to be slid back, hopefully without anybody seeing it, when the camera comes back through the other way. And all that had to be done silently. They had prop men and set dressers coming in after the camera had passed a certain point to move tables out of the way or chairs or um, entire walls. There was a master electrician up up above everything who had to hit every single lighting cue perfectly because behind in this giant picture window is a Manhattan landscape or cityscape model that could be seen through the picture window of the set and so lights had to come on at certain times and certain lights had to go away and all those things he has to hit all those cues perfectly or else footage is useless and then on top of that they bring in their editor you would think, what do you need an editor for if you're uh, doing everything in one take? Well, there is somebody at the end of this who does have to actually assemble the movie. But more importantly, they brought in an editor to refine the timing and the pacing of everything. Because when you're shooting everything in one take, you actually have to think about 
every movement where you land to a spot is a separate shot. And it's it's the moves that are just linking several shots together. That's the way Hitch thought about it. And so he brings in an editor to watch all this and to double-check his timing and his pacing to make sure, well, maybe the camera should start moving earlier or maybe, it, maybe we haven't held on that long enough. So that's, that's what you're doing just to do it right, doing all this practicing, all this rehearsing. Everybody's under pressure. And then you start shooting. They shot 17 days. And the reason it was 17 days instead of nine which is how many reels the movie would have been, was because of things that went wrong. For example, the sunset that you see out the picture window, uh, the color was way off when they got the dailies back, when they got the rushes back. The color was way off. So they had to go back and reshoot that. In one take, the, uh, the key grip missed his mark, as can happen, especially when not running on track which you can't because you're dollying all, all around this, this apartment set. And uh, he took out a wall of the set. Well, that would stop production for a while. Um, there was an electrician who had come in to change something and then got caught when the camera came back and was right there in the shot. You know, so those are sort of some of the things that, that went wrong. Those are just some of the things that went wrong. That doesn't include, you know, lines that got flubbed or whatever. One of the other things about the prep for this is you're limited to one lens. And that's one of the things that a lot of directors would tell you is, is crucial to filmmaking, is the ability to change lenses, to change perspective. For those of you who don't understand optics, let me try to explain it like this. So a zoom lens is a single lens that has flexibility between certain pieces of glass in the, in the lens. And those pieces of glass adjust the perspective of the lens. And the more wide angle the lens is, so the more you zoom out on the zoom lens, uh, the more distortion you're getting. Because the more wide angle the lens is, the more um, exaggerated depth becomes. And then the exact opposite happens as you zoom in. So as you zoom in, the more compressed depth becomes so you have this tool at your disposal to tell stories certain ways because you can you can exaggerate depth between two people or you can exaggerate um or 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 you can compress space between two people you know so you have this tool in your arsenal but when you completely eliminate that tool because you can't change lenses now now you have to choose a lens that gives you enough coverage to do everything but also gives you enough intimacy for close-ups and things like that, which is kind of hard to find. Now, they settled on a 35-millimeter lens, which realistically is the best choice. It's it's just on the wide side of wide, but not too wide, But and it's just on the side of close where it's, it's close enough. <laughs> um, you know, but, but again, not pure cinema because you're, you're taking out a tool in the arsenal that you would have normally. And one of the things that everybody quickly realizes is doing everything in one shot, the, the camera became the star. Uh, everything was for the camera. There were cables all across the set to give the camera power and all these sorts of things and run to the 
I guess they didn't have monitors, but all these things, you know. Um, and so you, the actors would have to step over the cables and around it, and you know, everything was for the camera. Now, now that you've heard your cautionary tale and understand how difficult this was, um, there's a couple things I want to point out. Number one is cameras aren't as big as they used to be. The film camera that they used in this movie, um, go on to IMDb, look up the movie Rope, came out in 1948, look at the photos, and there's a shot of Jimmy Stewart next to this massive box machine. That was the camera. Weighed 6,000 pounds. At one point, it ran over the director of photography's foot. Another problem that came up. But he couldn't do anything because that would ruin the take. So cameras are smaller. So, you know, it's not as imposing as it was at the time. We also have different methods for camera movement. We're not reliant on the dolly. We have uh, steady cams. We have handheld. We have uh, cranes and jibs and all sorts of wonderful tools. Um, the, the, those Movi rigs, those gimbal rigs, um, uh, the, the easy rigs that come overhead, you know, all sorts of wonderful things that... Um, that that can help us move the camera in more efficient ways than at the time you know so you don't have to worry about the dolly taking out a wall of your set maybe um the other thing is it's digital so if you mess up you're not wasting film you might be wasting time but you're not wasting film um you're not running up the expenses on the set necessarily um and digital also makes it easier to fine tune on set because we can see it all in a monitor typically um and and it's more mobile it just is. Uh, the other thing is that we have more more advanced uh, processes for post. We can rotoscope and chroma key and all sorts of other things that weren't possible in that era. And then the big thing is that movies now, big budget movies, can get a motion control rig. They can get a rig. There, there are some cheaper ones, too. I wouldn't recommend them, but, um, I mean, not for anything of this size, at least. Um, but, yeah, you can get a motion control rig. You can get a rig that you tell it what to do and it will repeat those moves every time. So you don't have to worry about the camera as much. You do still have to worry about focus, but you don't have to worry about the camera operator and the dolly grip or the steady cam operator or whoever making all of his marks because the motion control rig will do it for you. So yeah, it's easier. It's not fun. Um, you can't, you know, do away with you know, you might have a Jimmy Stewart on your set, one a guy who literally can't sleep because he's so stressed about it. You know, um, and Hitchcock would tell you it's not pure cinema. Cinema. You may disagree. I can understand that. And 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 if that's the case, if you do disagree, I'd love to hear your opinions on that. Um, so shoot me an so shoot me an email over at uh, hitchcockuniversity at gmail .com. Or, uh, or leave a review somewhere wherever you listen to the show, rating or review, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever it is you listen. Um, you can also message me. I'm on Facebook. Uh, we have a, a page there, Hitchcock University, and a Twitter. If you want to tweet me, uh, Hitchcock underscore U, as in university. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Um, I, I, I hope you learned something. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but that's all for class today. I will see you again at our next class um, in two weeks. Uh, thanks again.